You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal. Every week, myself or my co-host, Dr. Mike, comes to you with the information that you need so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family. We are giving you the information that will allow you to um, uh, fight back, and, and we provide information that's pertinent for health care that you won't hear anywhere else but that doctors talk about in doctors' lounges all across the country. Our show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led health care think tank in the country. Go to www.d, the number four, pcfoundation.org, docsforpatientcarefoundation.org, and please contribute generously so that we can continue to bring you this show and do all the work that we do on a daily basis, fighting for your health care freedom and trying to preserve the doctor-patient relationship. We um, uh, are going to talk today about a few things that uh, I wanted to uh, cover in the news. You know, I, I, watching the news, I, I am uh, somewhat... Uh, um, overwhelmed, as most people, I think, are by the massive amount of things that are happening that seems to be turning the world upside down, whether they are political in this country or um, terroristic or um, just just um, things that don't seem like they are um, right, that what was um, right is wrong, what was left is right. Nothing seems to make sense anymore in this uh, new world that we are living in. And so talking about health care almost seems a little bit um, trite, a little a little bit, you know, not, not as important. And yet when I think about this and I uh, read about these issues in the paper every day, it makes me refocus that healthcare is the ground zero for this um, culture war that we're seeing being fought right now in the media, in um, in social media, in print and and uh, and, uh, and visual media, in the halls of Congress, and um, and so I think that. More than ever, it's it's really important to stay focused on health care because if we lose this battle, if we give up what is the most um, precious thing in our lives, which is the right to get the kind of health care that we want, that we need, um, I, I think that that will be the beginning of the dominoes falling in terms of uh, Americans losing um, their freedoms. And so uh, as, as tangential or as trite as this may appear to be to some, and it was to me until I really um, dug, dug down you know, below the surface and thought more about this, I think that health care um, is, is so vitally important that um, 
that we need to uh, really redouble our efforts to fight for what we have. And and I, th- I think that most Americans view healthcare as as um, a uh, essential issue in this in this election cycle coming up, and have uh, um, really. Uh, um, propelled it to the number one issue and the forces uh, that are trying to uh, change what we currently have and put in a system where there is more bureaucracy and more government control are very insidious, they're very strong, very powerful, and it is the job of all of the all of those, all of us who understand these issues and know better to push back to expose these people and to inform Americans about what the forces that are trying to take over their health care have in store for them and what is at stake. And that's, I think, what the role of of my show is and what I write about and what the Docs for Patient Care Foundation stands for. I want to cover four issues that have come up in the news um, this uh, since my last show. Uh, we'll um, cover uh, some of the dominoes falling in a good way um, in the in this segment. In the next segment, I want to talk about uh, the new CMS initiatives regarding uh, the direct primary care and. Um, and what uh, they're trying to do in terms of modifying the current uh, Medicare system. In the third segment, I'm going to go ahead and uh, try to cover the uh, testimony that our good friend and uh, and uh, colleague, uh, Grace Marie Turner, delivered in Congress uh, two days ago. And then in the final segment, I want to cover um, an an issue that is very near and dear to my heart that's an apolitical and actually is healthcare related and has to do with men's health, men's wellness. So let's begin today by unpacking some of the dominoes falling in a good way, as I said. I want to um, uh, give a giant shout out to Florida and to my good friend Lee Gross, who has had a uh, played a big role in what is going on politically in Tallahassee, and all of those people who have fought so hard to help uh, overturn the certificate of need laws. Um, this past week, the Florida legislature actually yesterday. Um, morning, the Florida legislature repealed the certificate of need laws. They became the 16th state in the country to do so. All that's left now is for Governor DeSantis to sign the bill into law, and uh, Florida will uh, no longer have certificate of need laws. Now, there are two bills, I think, as far as I understand it, and I'm not sure which one Governor DeSantis is going to uh, sign. One is a complete repeal of certificate of need, and the other one is a limited certificate of need repeal, repealing it at the hospital level. And what whichever bill he signs 
will be a major victory for those of us who have fought so hard over the last decade or longer to repeal the Certificate of Need laws, as uh, you've heard me talk about on this show many, many times. And again, Certificate of Need laws are the um, pro-monopolistic laws that have allowed hospitals and other entities to restrict competition in the marketplace um, and uh, protect their monopolies. So this is one of the largest factors that have resulted in the high cost of health care. Health care is expensive, and the reason why it's expensive is because there is no competition in so many markets. This repeal will open up the Florida market and allow for entities to come in and compete and this is a good thing for patients, not a bad thing. And uh, you'll hear the hospitals whine about their role as the um, the the uh, the site of of uh, last refuge for those who have no insurance. And this is just you know just a giant a giant uh, lie because. Um, they they are not fulfilling their mandate as as they were expected to do so. They are not giving the f- level of free care that they claim to be giving or that they were supposed to give. Um, so, um, kudos to the to the Florida legislature. Kudos to to uh, Governor DeSantis. Um, in uh, in advance of him signing one of these bills, which he's expected to do. And I look forward to uh, seeing what is going to develop in Florida as a result. Taking uh, the, the bus further north to Georgia, where I live, I wanted to uh, highlight a couple of bills that our governor, Governor uh, Kemp, signed into law last week. Uh, uh, Governor Kemp um, signed SB 18 into law, which I am uh, so delighted to see happen. Um, I was involved in SB 18, and um, this was the the bill that was um, um, uh, shepherded through the um, Georgia leg- legislature by my good friend Kay Kirkpatrick, orthopedic surgeon and uh, state senator from the 32nd District, who uh, really um, uh, took that on and was the uh, chief sponsor. Um, there were other sponsors uh, for this, um, Ben Watson from Savannah from the 1st District, uh, all uh, family doctor. But um, this bill was an important bill because it protects doctors who are direct primary care doctors uh, and it uh, keeps the insurance commissioner from um, labeling the care that they're giving to their patients as risk-bearing. So it is the first step to allow Um, an opening up of the market for patients so that they can get direct primary care doctors. And this is a good thing for the state of Georgia because 
doctors are not coming into into Georgia for a number of reasons, but perhaps this will allow doctors give them the uh, um, the initiative, the uh, give them the ability to go to rural Georgia and open up their practices and actually make a living. And I'm going to just finish up with what Doctor with with what um, Governor Kemp also signed into law in the next segment, and we'll also talk about the CMS initiative, so stay with us. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal, and we are covering some uh, news items, healthcare related. So um, I left off uh, telling uh, you about the uh, the bill that doc- that uh, Governor Kemp signed, which. Um, which protects direct primary care practices in the state of Georgia. He signed two other bills, which I thought are noteworthy from a from a healthcare standpoint. One was a bill that required financial disclosures from nonprofit hospitals, and this is huge because the hospitals are are being treated as non for profits, and the only thing that that uh, qualifies them for being nonprofits is the fact that they don't distribute their profits to shareholders. But these entities are some of the most profitable enterprises in most states around the country. And they pour their profits into perpetuating their, their um, uh, giant businesses, either by hiring people, um, and increasing their bureaucracy, giving them lavish salaries, and also by buying real estate, which they don't have to pay taxes on because they're a nonprofit, 
and they get they get tax breaks for doing this, which for-profit entities don't get, and they are just increasing their footprint in marketplaces. So this will be an effort to try to restrain these giant hospitals who are getting bigger and bigger, and again, the major source of the high cost of health care under control. The other bill, which is, um, I think, an important bill, is not a repeal of certificate of need because that did not get off the ground in this legislative session in Georgia, but a good start to getting that um, uh, uh, to take place in the next legislative uh, session next year is the signing of House Bill 186, which allowed for Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Georgia to um, be able to expand their footprint in the state of Georgia. Um, what what happened with the certificate of need laws in, in Georgia was that they were so restrictive that Cancer Treatment Centers of America were unable to see more than a certain percentage of patients. And so they only had 50 beds in Georgia, and they couldn't see um, uh, a – they only could see a certain percentage of patients from the state of Georgia. If if they were um, seeing more patients from Georgia – um, that would be in defiance of their charter here in the state of Georgia. And so they um, they are prohibited from taking on new patients, which meant that cancer patients who wanted to go to Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Georgia could not go there. They were barred from going there, which is restraint of trade for Cancer Treatment Centers of America, but more importantly, it is limiting choices for cancer patients. And so um, CTCA fought for a decade to try to get this law overturned, which they succeeded in doing, and now this will open up um, the, uh, the facility for people in the state of Georgia and allow for Cancer Treatment Centers of America to expand. Now, whether or not you think that's a good thing or not a good thing, whether you agree with their for-profit model or not, that's that's immaterial. That's for people to decide on their own if that's what they want to uh, where they choose to go, what whether they choose to get their care there. And for many people, the CTCA um, amasses all of the um, resources for treating certain cancers under one roof and makes it so much more convenient for patients. So uh, for s- certain patients, this makes a lot of sense, while for others, it might not make sense. But again, that's up to patients. And so this is a, uh, uh, a uh, I think... A, kink, a chink in the armor. It is. It is pulling out one of those Jenga pieces from the certificate of need logjam in the state of Georgia, and opens the door to seeing full repeal in the next um, uh, Georgia um, uh, Congress, Georgia Legislature, 
um, just as we have seen happen this year in Florida. So I'm looking forward to good things coming from Georgia and for these two states to be leading the way in getting full repeal of certificate of need throughout the country. So that brings me to um, to Medicare and CMS and what they have uh, done. Um, this past week, CMS launched their value-based primary care initiative, and uh, it has met with mixed reviews. Our our uh, president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation and um, one of the founders of the direct primary care movement, Lee Gross, has been in Washington more times than I can count in the last year and a half, and he has been in the middle of all the discussions with um, the people at CMS and HHS um, and at uh, think tanks in Washington trying to wave the banner for direct primary care. This is such a political hot potato and so difficult to navigate that um, – I'm not sure that there's uh, a satisfactory answer to this problem, but I'm not sure that what happened uh, with the launch of this um, CMS-based initiative is going to uh, be the solution for the healthcare issues that that are uh, that are confronting so many Americans in this country. Um, specifically, the high cost of healthcare. Again, the high cost of healthcare has to do with several factors. It has to do with the hospitals and no competition, and we just covered that. It has to do with the high cost of drug care. Those drugs are are um, just it's 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 a crime what is happening with the high cost of drugs, and the high cost of um, insurance and the insurance companies just gouging patients and um, giving them very little value for the um, high uh, uh, premiums that they are charging patients. The last part of the high cost of care has to do with bureaucracy, whether that is from the government or from insurance companies. And so if, in a perfect world, if we were able to start over and create a brand new healthcare system, it would be getting rid of all of those special interests and it would be allowing patients to be in charge of their healthcare and their healthcare dollars. Now, entitlement programs muck up the, the works considerably because the government is paying the bill. And by the government, I mean you and I. Now, Unfortunately, the um, uh, the Medicare program is is on a fast track to bankruptcy. Whether you wh- wh- whichever um, projections you choose to um, adopt, whether it's the um, insolvency by twenty twenty six or twenty thirty. It, it really, it really is is immaterial. We know that this is a system that, on its current trajectory, cannot sustain itself. So there are efforts to reform it. How this is reformed is the answer, and who is 
coming up with these reform plans very much will determine what kind of benefits Medicare recipients get and what kind of care they receive and who is delivering this care. So what CMS has done is they've launched a value-based initiative. So it's going to be incentivizing providers to reduce hospitalizations and to cut costs by rewarding them through performance-based payments. That means that based on how well the doctors do in keeping patients healthy and keeping them out of the hospital, they will get paid accordingly. So there is a downside risk if they are not doing the job that they have signed on to do they can actually lose money they can get paid less than they currently get for seeing medicare patients as much as 10% decrease in what they're making but there's an upside potential of 50% which would be based on how much those doctors saved the Medicare program by keeping certain patients out of hospitals. Now, that becomes really bulky, really cumbersome, figuring out how do you calculate that. So let me just try to unpack that for you. Let's just suppose that you are a doctor who is taking care of diabetics. And in your practice you've got a 100 Medicare patients who have diabetes. And the, the, the government statistics show that out of every 100 diabetics, um, 5% of them are going to wind up with inpatient hospital care during um, that, that calendar year. If you have, if your population of patients, instead of having a 5% hospitalization rate, has a 3% hospitalization rate, well, you've saved the government uh, the hospitalization on, on two patients. And so the government will reward you because you've kept them out of the hospital. So they'll pay you more money. This is a, a slippery slope, and I want to try to unpack that for you and explain that in the next segment. So you've got to stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, 
You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Back in the doctor's lounge, thank you for being with us today. We are unpacking some news items that have uh, come up in the last couple of weeks. We left off talking about the new CMS plan to try to um, uh, inject some risk in uh, into doctors taking care of patients, and um, really, what what is is happening is that um, by by doing this, by injecting this risk, you're um, essentially asking providers to um, pay for consequences that they may not have any control over, and you are. Um, expecting them to be able to uh, get patients to comply with recommendations when, in fact, doctors really have very little control over whether or not patients are going to take their medication, whether they're going to come back for follow-ups. And so the unintended consequences of doing, of tying um payment to outcomes is that doctors simply won't take sicker patients. They'll just take healthier patients. Now, the people who came up with this plan think that they're going to be able to prevent the cherry picking from going on by making them take groups of patients. But at the end of the day, that is not easily done. And I think that the unintended consequences are are, um, unforeseeable. And this is not a system that we have, as, as advocates for direct primary care, have endorsed nor advocated for. These, this program and these ideas are, are generated by bureaucrats who think that they know how to run healthcare systems better than people who are taking care of patients on a daily basis. And it's interesting that there are two pathways for primary care in this model, three for accountable care organizations. So these models 
are really not intended to protect patients. It's they're intended to um, continue to perpetuate the healthcare quote system, which is really not a system at all, but it is still an effort to maintain control over health care um, at a macro level. And the Accountable Care Organizations, which was a, a creation under Obamacare and one which the government spent millions, tens of millions on to, to create, something that they just cannot let die. And the accountable care organizations, for the most part, are large hospitals and um, and uh, insurance companies. And so the this plan um, panders to them and gives them an opportunity to manage large populations in the Medicare Advantage plan, managed Medicaid, um, and other um, uh, uh uh, group um, health care that the um, accountable care organizations are currently um, managing, and so instead of letting this idea die on the vine, which it should, this should this should die a quick death. These accountable care organizations and give health care back to the patients instead of trying to manage it, because every time that you try to do that. The, the choices diminish, the weights are longer, the quality diminishes instead of improves. And what this direct contracting is, it's another uh, throwback to the worn-out idea that failed, which is capitation. Remember the capitated HMOs? It did not work because people were unhappy. And this initiative is a re um, a, a recreation of of the capitated HMOs and the people who are who've created this plan believe that there's going to be interest here because um, it they they believe that this plan simplifies the lives of doctors but there's been a tremendous amount of pushback um, by um, physician groups by the Direct Primary Care Coalition, by the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons. And um, this, you know, has been, it, it appears that this is just another um, uh, way of uh, repackaging third-party um, ACO-controlled care or capitation and it is a far cry from the direct primary care models that we have uh, been advocating for over the past uh, uh, 10 years. And so um, hopefully um, these th- there will still be efforts to uh, modify this plan and, and give more autonomy to patients, give uh, – t- try to un- unpack insurance from this and not um, allow insurance to, to control the care, which is what this is, rather than patients being able to decide where their health care dollars go. And that would mean going to, um, to doctors directly 
and deciding where they're going to get their care. And the people who came up with this plan believe that the direct primary care movement is a uh, a throwback to the Norman Rockwell kind of um, uh, uh, view of physicians taking care of patients as if that was a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. But these um, uh, bureaucrats, these institutionalists, if you will, have a, a very different view about what healthcare should look like, and um, it is uh, not patient-based, patient-centered. It is population-based, and there's a very big difference. I'm going to say that again. Healthcare should not be looked at in the macro level as population-based. It is individual. It's personalized. It's between a patient and their doctor. And that's not what people in government view healthcare to be. It is not what insurance companies, what hospitals, or any big organization views healthcare to be. And what we need is not turning the clock back and have and 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 taking steps backwards. What we really need to do is focus on what healthcare is and should be rather than what institutionalists want it to become. We don't want to put a square peg in a round hole. And that's what the whole direct primary care movement is all about. It's about giving patients the control over their health care once again like they once had. And this is doable if they control the dollars. If somebody else controls the dollars, it's a different story. Which brings us to the the third issue that I wanted to talk about, which is the ultimate control over health care dollars, which is the Democrat plan to nationalize health care, the Medicare for All plan. And I have spent weeks talking about this, having guests on the show, having um, trying to um, examine and re-examine and litigate and unpack this issue. I can't say this enough, and this is going to be the number one issue this election cycle, the people who are pushing Medicare for all. It is not Medicare for all. It is the end of Medicare, the end of Medicare. It is Medicare for none. It is capitation, not capitation, it is socialized health care, and it is wrong for America. And every day, you can pick up the newspaper and read about this. In today's Wall Street Journal, May 2nd, there's an editorial that sounds like I could have written this editorial. This is exactly what I have been talking about on this show for the past um, three months about Medicare for All. And uh, it, it talks about Medicare for All is the end of Medicare. Well, this past week, actually three days ago, um, our good friend Grace Marie Turner uh, testified before the uh, uh, House of Representatives Rules Committee to uh, discuss H.R. 1384, the Medicare for All Act of 2019. And she very clearly 
explained to the members of this committee how Medicare for All was a dangerous concept and that the Congresswomen, um, Pramila Jayapal and Debbie Dingell, who um, who sponsored this along with 107 co-sponsors, are just um, uh, wrong about this on every level. And um, she really did a great job of unpacking this, and I really commend her um, for doing this and recommend people go to the website. It's on the Galen Institute website and read her testimony, which is really very, very powerful. She talks about how um, the problem is cost. She um, focuses on insurance costs. I like to focus on global health care costs, as you heard me say earlier, hospitals, pharmacy, insurance, and government. And um, what she um, uh, what she actually uh, elaborated on quite well is that this model that was H.R. 1384 <laughs> abolishes all health care. It, it um, sunsets Medicare. It, it rolls everything into a single plan. It outlaws private health insurance. It criminalizes doctors who decide to contract with a patient directly. It will um, require that there are protocols for certain um, treatments for certain diseases, and it will establish boards and panels so that they can decide who gets what kind of treatment when. And um, it is um, a, a program that's the worst of all possible socialized health care plans in, uh, in, in the world, globally. And um, it would uh, reduce the reimbursement to physicians initially by 30% and then more. And it would result in a giant physician shortage and make the existing problem infinitely worse. And she went in to say that there is a better way of doing this. And she went through some of those options, which I'll just touch on in our last segment. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
Thanks for being with us today. This is the last segment of the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal. We're uh, unpacking some uh, news items, um, healthcare-related, that have come up in the last couple of weeks. I was uh, talking about the testimony in Congress from Grace Marie Turner, who I will have on the show um, coming up uh, in the not-too-distant future to um, do this herself. But what... um, but what she um, really uh, tried to emphasize to the committee was that employer-sponsored health insurance is the pillar of our health care um, uh, uh, system in the U.S., and this would disappear under the Medicare for All plan. And the reason why this is the central pillar is because physicians are um, – receiving higher reimbursements from patients who have these kinds of plans and um, and this is helping to subsidize those patients who are covered by government plans who are who, who where the payments are less and the doctors are willing to accept those patients because they're there these lower payments are offset by better uh, pay patients, patients who have better ins- uh, payment uh, plans, better insurance that pays higher rates. Um, Frank Luntz um, did a uh, survey, she said, of Americans with health care, and 71% of Americans with um, employer-based health care are actually happy with their coverage. The big problem with employer-based coverage is that if you leave a job, you don't get to keep your insurance. So that is something that's easily changed. The other is that if you work for a, a business and you're covered, but your family isn't, and you, um, have a, uh, uh, and you're given the ability to pick them up, you very often can't pay for it. And so there are, uh, health, um, reimbursement um, arrangements or health savings accounts where you should be able to use that money to cover your um, your dependents. And that's something that the Trump administration has been working towards and something that we should be embracing. Um, she pointed out that there are better options than the socialized health care plan of the Democrats, which are promoting the association health plans, um, allowing for states to um, have the innovation waivers and promote those, and um, and uh, mentioned um, other options that the that uh, the group that she heads, the Health Policy Consensus Group, have come up with to uh, give patients opportunities to um, uh, see their health care plans or their health care costs reduced, uh, high-risk pools, things that have been discussed at the state level by many people over and over again. And so the, the problem is that for the 10 or 15 percent of the population that all of these issues would not 
be helpful for, it does not make any sense to blow up the healthcare system yet once again for the 85 to 90 percent of people who are um, satisfied or who are um, marginally satisfied but who could see improvement with some tweaks and that's what really needs to happen again by considering the high cost of health care in the four buckets that I've mentioned and not looking at this just as a a singular problem with insurance or with pharmacy, but looking at high costs across the the spectrum like we've discussed. Um, I rushed through the Grace Marie Turner testimony because I wanted to cover something non-political that I um, really uh, uh, was uh, quite interested in, and I hope that you will be as well. It was a front-page article that appeared in the Wall Street Journal on uh, two days ago uh, that was uh, entitled, Men, the Doctor Would Like to See You Now. And what was so interesting to me was that this article and a good portion of this health care segment of the Wall Street Journal was devoted to men's health, men's wellness. As a urologist, this is something that we are um, confronting on a daily basis. The fact that men are not likely to get the kind of care that they should get and that around the country efforts are being initiated to make urologists the um, the the gatekeeper if you will or the 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 primary care doctor for men because of the reluctance of men to get to see their doctors most men the majority of men after they stop seeing the pediatrician at age 18 don't go back to see a doctor again until they're in their 50s or their 60s. There are lots of reasons why that happens. There's the machismo kind of uh, feeling about men that they are invincible and that they shouldn't need to go see a doctor. It's a sign of weakness. They don't get sick. Um they don't have time to take off from work. I mean, there's, there's a number of issues. And in fact, s- multiple surveys have shown that in married couples, it's the woman who makes 90% of the health care decisions for the family, including the husband. And so around the country, what is now a, a an increasing trend Systems are embracing the fact that urologists are an opportunity to improve health care for men because men are seeking help for two main reasons. They either are having problems going to the bathroom, they have problems with their prostate, or they are having problems in the bedroom. 
They can't get erections. They can't maintain erections. They're having some kind of issue. And in many cases, we know that that problem is caused by a medical issue, diabetes, hypertension, um, other neurologic issues. And so this is an opportunity for men to get better health by utilizing access into the healthcare system through the urologist and allowing them to be the centerpiece, this, the, the entry point into the healthcare system where they've checked out um, years and years ago. So let me share some statistics with you that I just found so incredibly fascinating from this article. Um, so risky behavior. Men are way more apt to engage in some of the risky behaviors that we see in um, in uh, healthcare. Um, of the people who drink um, at least um, four uh, drinks uh, in a day uh, in the past year, so let me say that again, age 18 and over, people who've had five or more drinks um, in a day, at least once in the past year, 30% of men have have uh, claimed to engage in that behavior, whereas of women, um, 20%. 18-year-olds or over who currently smoke cigarettes, men, 16%, women, 12%. Um, people under 65 without health insurance, men, 12%, women, 9.5%. So these are risky behaviors that men are more likely to engage in than women. Um, of the major health problems, high blood pressure, diabetes, arthritis, cancer, heart disease, men statistically are Great, are, are greater risk of having every one of those than women. And so here's some startling statistics. Only 60% of men go to the doctor for a routine checkup. 53% of men say their health just isn't something they like to talk about. 35% of men say they are comfortable talking with their friends about injuries from sports or other guy activities, but not anything else health related. And 12%, only 12% of men say that they would turn to a doctor first for health issues versus 48% who would turn to their spouse or partner. So by making it easier to talk to doctors because of men coming in for problems that really do bother them, there's an opportunity to actually improve health, improve um, outcomes for these major um, uh, diseases that we're seeing, and to actually lower the the global healthcare costs. Things that we've talked about um, on each of the segments today, and so rather than figuring out how we're going to cut reimbursement or how we're going to um, be um, limiting access to care or rationing care or um, doing other things that limit health care choices, it makes much more sense to broaden our 
our reach to think outside the box how we're going to be able to make men healthier. And to me, this segment in the Wall Street Journal hit the nail on the head that the uh, way to do this is to um, is to give um, an opportunity to men to talk about the problems that they're not necessarily going to the doctor about. So this is also going to be the subject of another show where I'm going to get um, one or two of my partners to come in and talk about men's health and how we can make a giant impact on the cost of health care by, as urologists, um, uh, being able to give men access to the kind of care that they're not receiving and uh, open up a whole new avenue for them and improve health. So I appreciate you letting me um, inform you about health care issues in the news today, and I hope that you got a lot out of this, and I look forward to having you come back and join me. Um, in four weeks. I won't be here in two weeks. I will be out of the country. We'll be playing a best of Hal show for you in the doctor's lounge. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.